17-year-old Angela Freeman was last seen on September 10, 1993 here at the old Pizza Hut in Petal. This was the last place that we ever, that anybody ever saw her alive. 17 years old, five months pregnant. Her bloodstained car was just north of Perry County's Monette Bridge. There's a possibility she might be in the river, so we're checking the river right now with the dogs. Rescue workers are searching the river with dogs, and they are also searching the wooded area here. She was, um, had come in from work, and she gave me $80 to pay on her car that we found abandoned out here in Perry County. At this point, we really don't know any more than we did before until we can find her. We're still hoping that it's just not real, you know, that, that she's going to call and say she was, maybe she was abducted and will get away or something, but, uh, it just really doesn't look good at all. And we're working hard every day. We want this case solved. After a busy Sunday evening serving up sandwiches and sweet tea, two young co-workers needed to get away from the hustle and bustle of Hardy Street. 21-year-old Robbie Bond needed to talk, so she and her friend William Hatcher, 27, whom she had gotten to know through working together at McAllister's Deli near the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, decided they'd take a drive out to watch the stars, away from the lights and sounds of the city. So about 9.30, the night of May 14, 1995, they told their co-workers they were headed out to the Monted Bridge. Robbie hopped in Williams' 1987 black Chevy S10, and they headed out of town, out of Hattiesburg through Petal, leaving the stores behind. Then the houses got fewer and fewer, Past the street lights, the last of civilization faded into the background while they talked. William drove the 40 minutes or so until they reached silence, but for the sounds of early summer, insects chirping, and the leaf river rustling below the mysterious Monted Bridge. The bridge was a common place for teenagers to go for some privacy. Couples and friends alike, and most recently, had gained local notoriety for the disappearance of Angela Freeman just 20 months earlier. But peace and quiet would not be honored this night, and their friends and family would never see them again. You are listening to the fifth episode of Telling Lives, a reported podcast series covering old stories in a true way. I'm your host, Elizabeth Christian. In this episode, we will tell you about the disappearance of two friends and co-workers who went out to watch the stars at the Monted Bridge on a clear spring night in May 1995. Their car and a few personal items found days later after they didn't show up for work, and how four days later, a gruesome scene would catapult the Monted Bridge to national infamy and put Angela Freeman's disappearance back on the front page and front burner in local police investigations.
As a former journalist, I spent one day each week laying out and designing the pages for the Pedal News. Once the stories were placed on the pages, I had to write the headlines, summarizing the gist of the news in an interesting way to entice folks to read the story. I worked for an editor with a knack for pulling readers in with just a few keywords. Lead story, above the fold, six columns across, one line, 72 point font. Below the fold, two columns, 24 point font. These terms refer to the size and space given to headlines. The more important stories are placed higher or above the fold of the traditional printed newspaper. I remember studying the importance of what the size signals to the reader and choosing carefully the message I wanted a story to convey as I crafted each one. Hit and run kills local official, 72 points. New business hires 100 workers, 60 points. City Council approves building a new library, 48 points. I studied 100-pointers, like Titanic Sinks, 1550 Die, or Hawaii Bombed, Japan Declares War. It is odd to work in a profession that measures mayhem in font size. In April 1995, on the second anniversary of the inferno that ended the siege in Waco, Texas, came payback in the form of a homegrown terrorist named Timothy McVeigh. The national newspaper headlines in 100-point font made sure readers knew it was an event of biblical proportions. Just one month later, however, a local story would scream even louder across the front page. Four days after two friends from Hattiesburg told co-workers they were headed out to the Monted Bridge, Oh my God, told readers the couple wasn't coming home alive. Monday, May 15, 1995 came, and work friends from McAllister's were worried when neither Robbie Bond nor William Hatcher showed up for work after leaving the night before to go out to the Monted Bridge. Some of the work friends went out to the bridge later that afternoon and discovered William's truck, but neither Robbie nor William, and they notified Perry County officials about 8 p.m. The Hattiesburg American reported that in the four days of investigation before police were led to their bodies, police found, quote, a necklace lying in a puddle of blood on the bridge, as well as a butcher knife with a broken blade. They also found hair the same color as Bond's on the bridge and Hatcher's truck parked at the north end of the bridge, end quote. It was eerily similar to the scene of Angela Freeman's disappearance in September 1993, but in many ways the case was treated quite differently. The case began as a missing persons case and the search for Bond and Hatcher started in Hattiesburg. On May 19, 1995, the Hattiesburg American's headline alerted readers to the news they dreaded. Oh my God, a quotation from a law enforcement official at the scene led the day's news. The bodies of Robbie Bond and William Hatcher had been discovered in shallow graves about a mile from the bridge, and three Monted residents had been arrested. One, a 14-year-old boy confessed and led authorities to the horrific scene. The local news media also reported a third grave 
and body was found nearby, convincing residents and the Freeman family that they would soon have their answers about Angela. In the first 20 months, Deborah had gotten no answers and would sometimes just sit in Angela's car, willing it to speak the solution of her daughter's disappearance. Sit out there in my car. Of course, after the murders took place in 95, I was like, I think yeah. it's the place for me to be. <laughs> did you ever seriously think they were involved? Did you have? At first, I did. Yeah. I really thought they were going to find Angela's body. Yeah, that is just, it, it seems a strange coincidence that mm-hmm. within a year and a half, a year and nine months, those, yep. both those cars were found. Yep. And what killed was, they, the boy didn't even think anything of it because they had just talked to them. Yeah. You know, they stopped right on the bridge and talked to them because they were just looking at stars. Right. You know? And then when they come back, that Mooney boy had that knife beside him. He come up to him and he stabbed him. Stomach. Yeah. Look out in the back. On Thursday, May 18, 1995, David Moody, the youngest murderer at only 14 years old, approached police to confess about his and his cousin's participation in the disappearance of William Hatcher and Robbie Bond. The Moody compound was just a short distance from the Monted Bridge on the New Augusta side. Police had been told by Bobby Jean Lee, David Moody's aunt, that she knew who killed Hatcher and Bond. Before arrests could be made, she brought David to the authorities to tell their side of the story. Inevitably, his confession led to the arrests of two others, Richard Moody, 17 at the time, and Kenneth Moody, 20 at the time, and the suspected ringleader. This is the story David told police, as reported by the Hattiesburg American. Kenneth and Richard were out drinking and riding around in a low-rider pickup truck when they went to David's house and picked him up. When they made their way out to the bridge, they discovered the two friends, William Hatcher and Robbie Bond, stargazing. According to David, suddenly, Kenneth started stabbing Hatcher. Bond tried to stop him, but she got in his way, and he caught her and slammed her head onto the wooden planks of the bridge. Then they took Hatcher and Bond, threw them into the pickup, and brought them to Kenneth's house, not even two miles from the site of the stabbing and abduction. It was there that Kenneth beat and raped Bond. He killed her by sticking a water hose down her throat, drowning her from the inside out. This remains one of the most gruesome acts of violence against a stranger I have ever heard of. From the initial story in May, the stories and destinies of Angela Freeman and Robbie and William seemed inextricably linked. Many in the community, even to this day, remain convinced that the Moody Boys, the people who murdered Robbie and William, were the same people who murdered Angela Freeman 20 months earlier. And little has been done over the years to dissuade that. Despite the confessions, the discovery of the bodies, the arrests and convictions for the murders of Robbie and William. Deb remembers those early days following the discovery of Robbie and William's bodies. But it was like reliving the whole thing back again because I had reporters at the door. Think they're going to find Angela's body? The news media actively pursued Angela's mother 
for her input and thoughts on the new modded mystery. And once the Moody's went to trial, Deborah sat in that courtroom every day with Robbie Bond's mother. When I first visited with Deborah, she still agonized over the memory of what Robbie Bond's mother went through, listening to the testimony of her daughter's torture and death. I was in trial with that mother. She had to sit there and listen to that because she had three, you know, firms in her that she hadn't had three times sex. Well, it's because the boy she was with mm-hmm. and the two boys that raped her. Yeah. And they wanted to throw it out there like she was some kind of, that she deserved what she got. It was hard. Deborah says she prays Angela's killer will one day confess because of how awful it was in court, watching Robbie Bond's mother have to relive those awful moments and hear what horrors were done to her daughter. And I hope that we won't have to go to trial, that he'll just confess, and then it'll be over with. Because I know there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to come out, a lot of negative ugliness, because the dead can't speak for themselves. And it's just like when that girl back in 95, when the, the Mooney boys. As a resident of the area at the time, I too wondered if the Moody's had also killed Angela and if David, who had only been 12 back then, was maybe too young to have been involved and just didn't know. After all, he was the weak link, so to speak, in 1995 and broke and confessed to the crimes. It wasn't until investigating this case on my own that I became convinced that the Moody's were not involved. Even Angela's grandmother wondered at the time. In 1995, when Robbie Bond and William Hatcher were murdered, Mm -hmm. um, did did you think that maybe those boys had something to do with it? We did. Do you think they did now? No. No? No, I... I really don't because they didn't have anything to lose and they said they didn't do it now. Uh, I had a lady tell me here the other day that one of them had said he he did it. Hmm. But then when they wanted to talk to him again, he wouldn't say nothing. I just don't believe it. Upon the discovery of Robbie and William's bodies in a communal makeshift grave, The next day, a third body would be discovered a few yards away. The case bore such a great resemblance to Angela's that a grieving Deborah Freeman hoped that the search for her daughter was finally reaching its end. On May 19th, before the remains of the three bodies were identified, the Hattiesburg American reported that authorities thought Angela's body may have been one of the bodies buried on Kenneth's property. At least one Freeman family member never considered that the Moody's were responsible for Angela's disappearance, though. Randy Freeman, Angela's uncle who found her car at the bridge back in September of 93, said it never crossed his mind. You know, and a lot of people thinking after the Hatcher and Bond incident that it was the Moody's. It was not the Moody's. Did you think that? No. No? Not for for an instant. Why? Because for them to do anything to her, she drove out there by herself. And she didn't do that. She was too, she'd been too scared. I mean, we're talking about no lights. It, it is pitch dark. That's why Hatcher and Bond went there to look at the stars. Because it's dark. And 
there's no way. She was too scared to go out. I was pretty sure she didn't know the Moody's. Because uh, I was pretty sure she didn't, she didn't know the Moody's, so there's no reason for them, her to even meet them out there. Deborah Freeman told a reporter back then that she didn't see a connection between Angela's disappearance and Robbie and William, but she wondered if rumors that she had heard about cult activity around the bridge might be true, and that was the connection. In a March 13, 1994 article, Deborah mentions a rumor of a devil-worshipping cult in Petal and thought that perhaps it was true and that they had struck again. Could it be answers and closures for the Freeman family? Was it possible that the third body was Angela's? It would take weeks and DNA evidence from the bodies to determine that the third body was not Angela's, but was Michael James Lee, a 31-year-old cousin of the Moody's from Mobile. Autopsy results confirmed he died of stab wounds on May 9th. It would be revealed in the following weeks that Michael was visiting his cousins on May 9th for a party at one of the family's homes in the Monad community. A fight erupted, and Michael was beaten to death in front of witnesses, who said nothing. Two weeks after Lee was killed, and Bond and Hatcher were tortured and murdered, David Moody confessed. Soon after, authorities arrested David Moody, Richard Moody, and Kenneth Moody. Initially, they charged David and Kenneth with capital murder in the deaths of Hatcher and Bond. Kenneth and Richard were charged with capital murder in the death of Lee. Rusty Keyes, a detective on the Hatcher and Bond murder cases in 1995 and the chief investigator of Angela's case since 2006, weighed in on the disappearance of Hatcher and Bond as it occurred in 1995. Well, one afternoon is when the young man, the cousin, came in to Sheriff McGee at Forest County and said, I got to tell you something. And he gave up the story of, you know, uh, Kenneth Moody and his cousin and how he killed his cousin after he killed Bonnie Hatcher. And, and yeah, I mean, as a young detective and the detectives that were working on that case, too, it made, yeah, it made sense, you know, that Angela went out there and, you know, the great theory. Right. I mean, it is. It fits. I mean, you know, that... It's very ironic. He, yeah, here's this... You know, here's this serial killer living in Perry County, you know, and that's what he was. You know, you kill two or more, you're a right. serial killer. If you have a delay in it, he did. So, I mean, you can classify him as a serial killer if you want to. Um, for him, for this Kenneth, guy, right. yeah, Kenneth, Kenneth. Moody. So, if you, okay. cla- you can classify him as that. So, here's this guy that, you know, a crystal meth addict, you know, has some mental issues, what he done to her and him, you know, as far as physically and sexually, uh, I mean, it fit, you know. In a newspaper report on June 1st, 1995, David admitted that under threat of death from Kenneth, he also participated in Bond's rape. They buried Bond and Hatcher in shallow graves in the woods surrounding Kenneth's trailer. As reported in the 95 Hattiesburg American, when David confessed, he took police to where the bodies were buried. Mike Callahan, the investigator for the district attorney's office, said, 
quote, David ran right to where the bodies were, pointed to where they were, and got back in the car, end quote. Richard's father, Richard Moody Sr., told the Hattiesburg American in a June 1995 article that Richard told them from day one that he didn't kill anyone. Luckily for Richard, authorities came to the same conclusion. The murder charge against Richard Moody was dropped. Instead, he was charged with being an accessory to murder in the death of Lee. On a side note, unrelated to the Monted Bridge murders, but also in 1995, skeletal remains of a young woman were found by a resident in the woods south of Laurel, just a short distance from Petal, in Jones County. The coroner told the press that the skeleton was at least two years old. All this pointed to the possibility that it, too, could have been Angela. However, Forest County Coroner Mike West ruled that out as he said Angela was his patient. West was also a local physician, and it didn't match up. The actual conviction of the Moody's wouldn't come for several years. As the Hattiesburg American reported in a May 1997 article, quote, Cousins charged with grisly killings at Monted Bridge two years ago sit in jail today, waiting as the judicial process moves along like molasses dripping on a January morning, end quote. In an August 97 article, the same newspaper says that, quote, The incomprehensible slow resolution of two high-profile murder cases in our area strains the lexical definition of the process part of due process, end quote. The three young men were waiting for the Supreme Court to settle a plea agreement with Kenneth before the trials could begin. Kenneth, at 22 years old, agreed to a plea agreement with District Attorney Glenn White to testify against his two cousins in trial to avoid receiving the death penalty. The Hattiesburg American reported in May 2000 that, quote, a new district attorney took office in 1996, end quote, and Forrest Perry Circuit Judge Dickie McKenzie attempted to declare the agreement void. However, the Mississippi Supreme Court required the judge to uphold the plea agreement. Kenneth, in fact, had several requests to change counsel over the years awaiting trial, the last of which came at the bequest of WDAM-TV reporter Mark Johnson, who developed an intimate relationship with Kenneth while covering his case. Johnson wound up testifying about this request on Kenneth's behalf. Once the relationship became public and headline news in the Hattiesburg American, Johnson was reassigned. As a local reporter for another newspaper, I remember that day. As the editor had written such a provocative headline, about the relationship between the reporter and the murderer that the American literally stopped the presses to reprint the day's headline and had those already in newsstands pulled and replaced. Let's just say the suggestion bordered on indecency according to community standards. The Kenneth Moody in 1993 wasn't the Kenneth Moody that had developed in 95. Okay? Uh... Some things had occurred in those two years that had changed that man. Um, so 
when he was doing, when, when he committed all these other crimes, these murders, mm -hmm. you know, Kenneth, you know, he was a narcissist. Yeah. Um, he knew how to play people. He uh, played the system. He played Mark Johnson, you know, to get what he wanted. In February 2000, David Moody was convicted of capital murder in Bond's death and an accessory to murder in Hatcher's death. He received a life sentence. At this point, you may be asking how the Monted Bridge murders connect to Angela's disappearance, since the third body was not Angela's. In the next few minutes, the details won't reveal how Angela's case was identical to Bond and Hatcher's. Instead, they will reveal remarkably similar circumstances, yet different actions from law enforcement. In the next episode, we'll mention the difference in news media coverage of the two cases. Just a day after the Moody's Boys' arrests were made public, the Hattiesburg American's editorial page gave investigators on the murder case a thumbs up, citing that they deserved credit for having, quote, suspects in custody just days after the crimes occurred, end quote. However, on June 3rd, just two weeks after the glowing editorial, the Hattiesburg American published an article in the Clarion Ledger with the headline, Perry County Sheriff Needs to Sit Down, Chill Out, and Read the Constitution. In the article, the reporter calls Perry County Sheriff Carlos Herring's handling of the media during the investigation offensive, going so far as to state that it, quote, may border on unconstitutional, end quote. The reporter also criticizes sloppiness in the investigation. The crime scene was reportedly left unattended for at least a day, much like how Angela's automobile had incorrectly been handled following its discovery by the same officials. The article also called out Herring for arresting a camera operator who was videotaping Robbie Bond's funeral from a far distance while he was standing on public property. He was arrested on misdemeanor charges for obstructing traffic, failing to yield, and resisting arrest. On May 23, 1995, Kelly Carson, a staff writer for the Hattiesburg American, reported that friends of Bond and Hatcher were questioning why the crime scene hadn't been sealed off at the bridge or at Kenneth's property. A friend of Bond even compared it to the O.J. Simpson case at the time, where the crime scene was still blocked off from June 12, 1995. One article by lead crime reporter Janet Braswell says that, quote, Investigators say the circumstances surrounding the disappearance of Hatcher and Bond and the Freeman case are almost identical. In both cases, Abandoned vehicles are found on the north side of the bridge and personal items were found nearby, end quote. Although this is true, and it led people to believe that the Moody's had something to do with Angela's disappearance, the case was treated anything but like how Angela's was. Hatcher and Bond were initially considered missing persons. Their place of disappearance was considered a crime scene even though it wasn't secured immediately as it should have been. Their bodies were actively searched for in the days following their disappearance, and ultimately, their murderers were found, confessed, arrested, 
and prosecuted. Rusty Keyes said that initial investigators knew something had happened when they discovered the crime scene on the bridge. But why, not even two years after Angela's disappearance, under nearly the exact same circumstances, was the initial approach to Hatcher and Bond's disappearance any different from Angela's? Keyes said he has questioned Kenneth Moody several times over the years since he took over the cold case unit and is convinced the Moody's are not responsible for Angela's disappearance. One thing that never you can get out of my mind, though, one thing about Angela, there's no reason, period, for her to go to Monty Bridge at midnight on a Thursday night, Friday morning. Because how far is... There's no reason. How far is pedal from the Monument Bridge? Oh, goodness gracious. I mean, that's 20 minutes or more. You know, and it's rural. I mean, you're not, I'm not talking about just rural. I'm talking about it's in the woods. I mean, it's out of the beaten path. The bridge was closed at the time. I mean, she had no reason to go there. Uh, she, plus, you know, there was some evidence that she left at the apartment for her friend, that she was coming back. Uh, you know, she had dressed herself up, put her makeup mm -hmm. on. There was just no reason for her to go and and be found by Kenneth Moody. And it, it just yeah. didn't. But on the surface, it did look good. So, I mean, so for a long time, Kenneth was. I mean, he was the leading suspect right. in that case. Now, at you know, at this point in the investigation, I, I could say that I've cleared him. Okay, there's been some things that's come forward about him that that has cleared him. Mm -hmm. I don't see him as you know, anything's possible till right. you clear it, but I wouldn't put him at the top of the list. Strangely, though, Kenneth Moody offered up the idea of the two puddles on the bridge that we included from Keyes in an earlier episode. Keyes is the only source that has ever offered the explanation of there being two puddles at the bridge when Angela's car was discovered, one being the transmission fluid and one being blood. Keyes said Kenneth Moody did offer some valuable evidence that has been helpful in Angela's case. There's some evidence that came up later that he saw some things. Matter of fact, come to find out, you know, there's this, always been this thing about this transmission fluid. Matter of fact, Kenneth went there and told the sheriff that's my transmission fluid. I changed my transmission fluid right there. How close is where they live to the Oh, just right across the bridge. bridge. It, okay. wasn't far. it wasn't far. But nevertheless, uh, we, you know, Kenneth's very low on the, on the list of suspects. So, um, and, but there's some things that I found out that has helped the case, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, that's kind of where we're all him. Is it possible that the piece of information actually came to Keyes in questioning Kenneth Moody? And if so, how did Kenneth remember so many years later that it was that day in September of 93 that he had stopped on the bridge to work on his truck? Or are there records from 93 where he told authorities then it isn't present in any newspaper accounts from the time? As the years have gone by, many in the community still believe the Moody boys were involved in Angela's disappearance. 
whether it's because of the initial media reports linking the cases, or if it's just too hard to believe that in this remote area, within two years' time, there would be two separate crimes of this magnitude, or perhaps a combination of both, who's to say? But it is interesting to note that 25 years have confused the timeline for many who still correlate the cases. Some of the people interviewed and people who have posted on message boards suggest the Moody's had something to do with Angela Freeman's disappearance because of what they had done to Robbie and William, not realizing that Angela disappeared 20 months earlier when the greater Hattiesburg community had never heard of the Moody Boys. In 1995, following the double murder, the Monad Bridge became a macabre tourist attraction, but parents worried if the bridge remained standing, more tragedy might follow. Because of the notoriety that came with the second tragedy in two years, there was a great cry in the area to tear down the Monad Bridge and give up the call to find funds to restore the piece of history. Someone set fire to it in August of 2000, and later all the wooden planks were removed so it would no longer be passable at all by car or foot traffic. Kenneth and David Moody remain in Mississippi prisons to serve out their natural lives for their capital murder convictions. All their appeals have failed, and we are still searching for Angela Freeman. In the next episode of Telling Lives, we're going to examine the use of psychics in Angela Freeman's case over the years and also look at the use of an acceptance of psychic ability in helping law enforcement historically and today. Telling Lives is brought to you by reporter, writer, and host Elizabeth Christian, producer Brian Manuel, associate producer Jerry Clark, Reporter and researcher Alina Noakes. Audio editor Andrew Vance Miller. Audio transcriptionist Lance Christian. Research assistants Brett Williams, Marilyn Barfoot, Trinity Baugh, and Abigail Jones. Photographers Abigail Jones and Grace Miller. Original music by Nicholas Freeman. If you like this episode, subscribe to Telling Lives Podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you have any information about the disappearance of Angela Freeman, contact us at tellinglivespod at gmail.com. There is a $12,000 reward for anyone with information leading to the arrest of the person responsible for Angela Freeman's disappearance. Contact Rusty Keys at the University of Southern Mississippi Police Department. Special thanks goes to Louisiana College for partial funding support for this project. Luke 8:17.